0: Well, I mean it's a, it's an apocalypse and it's the end of the, the world and it's a big comment coming. So a couple of swears are always appropriate, right? When these kind of things happen.
1: <laughs> Got it.
0: Yo, welcome to my summer lair. I'm your host, Sammy. Is it A forever or E forever, you name? What would you do? What would you truly, truly do if you were faced with an extinction-level event? I mean, the image is striking, and it lends itself to easy metaphor. The Effort, a novel by Claire Holroyd, begins with an 8-kilometer dark comet, U-D-3, emerging from a blind spot, hurtling towards Earth. We never saw it coming. We have one year left before it hits, and as citizens grapple with the devastating news, a group of scientists and nerds gather together in a defense effort get it to avoid doom, disaster, and death. Super compelling! The New York Times listed the effort in new and noteworthy, and I agree. It offers up a number of perspectives as each member in the cast has their own hopes, setbacks, and classic existential despair, from a polar icebreaker to South America and lots more remarkable locations. And sure, this is a science fiction novel, and yeah, it is a near future novel, but doesn't that image also reflect our tepid responses to the environment? It's our blind spot. We often don't operate with a sense of urgency, with maximum effort knowing it's a crisis. At least in this novel they have a clear time frame, one year or else. Extinction, just like the dinosaurs. I don't know, maybe it's like human nature. We know we shouldn't smoke or like eat a McDonald's. We should sleep more and let friends know we appreciate them and love them. And yet, for all the common knowledge of all the things we should be doing (laughs) and the things we're not doing, eh, we just keep rolling along, not aware of our blind spots and the things that could or could not be coming at us. There's a lot going on, which is impressive considering The Effort is Claire's debut novel. So here she is talking and exploring all of these themes with me, making her debut on My Summer Lair as I give this sci-fi novel The Effort, The Old College Try. Um, Alright, so are you ready to give your best effort talking about your novel The Effort? I'm ready. Okay. I want to start with your background, Claire. What is your background like as a sci-fi nerd? You clearly read a lot and you watch a lot of sci-fi. What was like the movie or the book that kind of sparked your interest in the genre?
1: Um, I mean, definitely from the very beginning. Um, I think one of, like the first movies I saw in theaters as a like very young child were Return of the Jedi uh Jim Henson's The Dark Crystal mm-hmm. um I kind of st- I started at a, at a young age um and yeah and then you know as I grew up I I'm definitely more into the social science fiction um but I I do like space opera that deals with that as well like I think um Next Generation was uh Star Trek was mm-hmm. was definitely a great show that really dealt with lots of different issues that we deal with now in, in you know, different ways. Um, the and, moral and dilemma. In very subtle ways. So I would say, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, and and you know, wonderful parallels. Um, you know, Red Dune loved, loved the very strange David Lynch. Uh, I just saw it again last week. Mm-hmm. So I, I've definitely always been a big sci-fi fan. Um, more into the, the ones that are a little more serious, perhaps, rather than I, I kind of have... Left off of the Star Wars space opera type of books, but I'm, you know, I, I do. I'm I'm really interested in like the near future type books where you kind of jump ahead a couple of generations or even even a couple of years and imagine those. I find those too, like I guess speculative is is more the realm of that. But you know, I, I definitely still dip into sci-fi um, uh, occasionally, and uh, I I love the imagination and the world building. So yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. For sure. The the speculative fiction stuff is always crazy because, as you said, it's just a few years removed from us. So it feels mm-hmm. like it could happen. When you watch something like, I don't know, Blade Runner or you're talking about even like Star Trek Next Generation, that was centuries from us, right? So they yes. had all the spaceships and all that stuff. So, yes, they're dealing with like racism or other topics and things like that. And you kind of understand that. That's a, it's all a grand metaphor. But at the same time, it's so removed. So it's like you can just kind of watch it and then turn off the TV, then go take a nap. But with like (laughs) speculative fiction, when it's like you know, uh, this year is twenty twenty two, and it's like this was the year that the Soylent Green movie was set, right? (laughs) And considering like where we're at, you're like, well, that seems a little eerie. Like it's really like a little disturbing.
1: It does definitely speculative definitely hits very close to home. Um, If it's near future or even alternate present, um, you know, like I was, uh, I've I've read both of the Margaret Atwood. Um, Handmaid's Tale and uh, The Testaments and also seeing the, the shows. And, you know, when you're seeing the show and they're in the red habit, and but they're walking down like a, a New England street with like a, a, a model car that you would see today. Mm-hmm. That is terrifying. Yeah. So, like it definitely is much more, like it, it hits you so much harder and it's definitely more relevant when you're like, this is now. Yeah. When you get that feeling like this is now, just a different now.
0: Because it's less of a metaphor. Like a lot of like Twilight Zone, for example, a lot of Twilight Zone episodes are metaphor, especially at the time with the censors and the TV being what it was. He couldn't come out and directly say these things. Uh, So he used a lot of kind of grand metaphors. And so if you understood it, it's like a joke, right? If you understood it, if you understood the punchline, you get it. You're in. But if you didn't want to do the work or you didn't fully grasp what Rod Serling was talking about or writing about, then it kind of flew over your head. With like speculative fiction and like something that's happening, like even just a couple of years from now, it's like oh snap, this could actually, really, truly happen.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I've I've heard that a lot of um like Chinese science fiction writers have to be have to use so much more metaphor and have to be so far future because of censorship. Yeah. Um, and I and I do f- feel like we are lucky that we don't uh, American writers and you know North American writers like don't have that. Same pressure. We're very lucky that we, you know, ha- have the freedom to to deal with the now and and the near future and the speculative without having to be so subtle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it it's harder for people to dismiss or ignore or um, choose not to really f- like focus on that or have it impact them. Um,
0: yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. You yourself, as an American writer, you wrote in the acknowledgments. While I come from obscurity, The Effort is your first novel. Uh, While I come from obscurity, I've been working on long-form fiction since the first grade. That's pretty impressive. So can you kind of uh, (laughs) tell me more like what that means and like what that journey has been like?
1: Sure, sure. And I I guess, I mean, you know, I I would love to toast to late bloomers. Mm. Uh, I'm definitely one of them. (laughs) I'm I'm also not an insider in the publishing industry at all. Uh, I'm a graphic designer actually by trade. Mm -hmm. And, um, but I've always loved writing. I've always loved writing and reading and, but I was always told it was something that you couldn't do to earn a living. And so this was always something I was told to have as like a private joy uh, on, on my own time. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, So, yeah, so I write on weekends when, you know, my time is my own And I would just, I just always did, you know, I just always kept it up. And I guess I had the grit to just know that I wanted to do it for myself, even if it never really went anywhere beyond a drawer or you know my 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 fr- my family and friends mm-hmm. um so i just kept at it all all my life and uh yeah I, I i got lucky though with with this one um i did you know i cold contacted some agents and i i got a response and i i was able to get this to uh, to do the traditional publishing journey although in a pandemic So it was uh, a partially living that dream.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure the book tours, uh, had to be kind of weird too, right? You're just doing a lot of zoom.
1: We it's everyone's had to do virtual, Mm -hmm. which I mean, in some ways that can be good because it is kind of a leveler, you know, every all books have to do this. So you're not going to have the ones with top 10 publishers and lots of hype, Mm -hmm. uh, go on book tours when, you know, someone from like a small press who doesn't, doesn't, you know, doesn't have a lot of Goodreads, you know, hype would have to do a, a, like a small tour. Mm -hmm. Everyone's on the same plane. So it is kind of, it was a leveler in that way, but it's really, really hard to sell books with virtual, like everyone's zoomed out and it's hard to sell books with virtual events. Um, It's, it's not the same. They don't have the same numbers. Um, in fact, I even, I, uh, I, I, t- I, was tweeting with an author today who's, who's on fire, but I just said, Oh, I, I'm so, I'm so happy that you're doing this for the rest of us. Like, you know, I'm, I, I, was it everything that you dreamed? And he's like, well, you know, for, for a pandemic launch, a plus, but this wasn't at all how I imagined it. I imagined getting in a Winnebago and mm-hmm. going going on a book tour and seeing readers and signing books and, you know, that's the dream. And that, that also that affects your numbers, that helps get the sales and none of us were really able to do that. So yeah, it's, but I mean, you know, it's, it's still a blessing. So. For sure.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. And I think too, for you, like uh, as a nerd and as an avid reader, you would also probably like to hang out in some of these kind of indie bookstores too, right? Like if you did a traditional tour, That's the kind of cool opportunity. Yes, you get to meet with readers, and yes, you get to sell your book and do those things. But you personally, as a reader, that would be kind of neat to kind of check out some of these stores, stores in cities you may not generally go to because you just don't travel or vacation in those places.
1: Yeah, no, I book indie bookstores are the best, and also, I I mean, honestly, I love Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. Um, I love them all. I love all bookstores that are brick and mortar stores. Um. Sorry, Amazon, but I I love going to the spaces and having them out where you can see them. And it helps, you know, it helps books to have window space. Uh, it helps book like readers to just go and explore and actually see something and and pick it up and read the back. And um, and and you know, you you have staff that are that are nerds too, and they'll Mm. they'll say, Oh, what do you like? I can help you, I can suggest a book. You know, I, I recently picked up um, *Termination Shock*, and I was on the way out, and the staffer at the indie bookstore is like flagging me down and says, "Oh, you know, his tour is—he's is, doing an event um, in Phoenixville. You need to go. It, 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 That's—you can't get—you don't get that in Amazon. Mm-hmm. So, it, it, yes, I, I really wished I could have physically gone to these bookstores and you know walked through them and and met the staff in person." Um, but, but was, was not to be, but I mean, it, it is still, you still do get to meet people virtually. And that, I mean, virtual relationships are still relationships. I mean, you and I met virtually mm-hmm. uh-huh. so, so that it, it, it's not, it's not nothing.
0: Yeah. But, yeah. You know, no, for sure. It's yeah. Not the,
1: not the same. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. yeah. And like, and, and again, at the end of the day too, like you said, it is a blessing that you got to write on the weekends. You got to put this book out. Uh, that's yeah. gotta be a real treat. As you said, you're a graphic designer. Uh, that's your primary job, which is a creative field. And I'm just curious if there was some sort of like creativity that wasn't necessarily being met through the day job, like in terms of being a graphic designer or like this was just like, why would you want to add a different medium or try and experiment in a different medium with your creativity?
1: Yeah, it is it is different. Um, and it is kind of, you know, jobs become jobs mm-hmm. no matter what they are. And they're they're usually, you know, it's it's a service, so I'm servicing other other people. When I'm a graphic designer, um, I'm you know I'm doing branding or or some kind of communication piece. I'm, I'm doing it for somebody else, mm-hmm. and it, whereas on the weekends it's just me and a and a laptop, and I'm creating for myself. And it's, I mean, it's it's wild, like just making stories in your head, and 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 also just doing the research. Like that was one thing that really kind of drove a lot of this book is just like learning about the earth and our planet and, um, you know, space missions um, and international collaborations. Like I got to learn so much because I kind of had to, because mm-hmm. I had to be able to talk with authority and, and have it be authentic. So it just, you know, there, there was, I, I, I've always loved biology uh, and I definitely got to hit tap that vein as I was researching this book. Um, You know, I was going to uh, blogs about, um, uh, there was a a student from, I think it was Exeter or something that was on Healy, and he would have these blogs every day about his experiences on this polar icebreaker, and I get to, like, I read those and get to experience that and then kind of take that into the story. Like, those are the kind of adventures that I got to go on, just sitting in a desk on a weekend. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's that, you know, again, it's, it's all adventures in your head.
0: (laughs) I like that adventures in your head. So what kind of adventures are on paper for the effort? What is the effort?
1: So, um, okay. Elevator pitch is that, um, basically a comet, a dark comet they're called when they're, um, spotted in our coming out from a blind spot. And this one is coming out from a blind spot, our blind spot from the sun and we see it coming and, um astronomers realize that it is it is going to be a direct impact within about a year's time And so it is the story of what happens on Earth when this news uh, breaks. It is the story about the international collaboration called uh, the defense of um the, uh, the defense effort or or just the effort for short that forms uh, at a European spaceport in French Guiana Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's about saving the planet in, in different ways. I mean, there's definitely a, a climate. Uh, it, it is there is a climate change element. There is also just extinction. Um, the idea of extinction that we've never had to deal with, but many species and um, many cultures uh, have had to face. Mm-hmm. That I wanted to kind of touch on as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's a book about saving the planet. If I had to give a, a short spiel.
0: That works, yeah, because there's a lot that's going on. So we're going to unpack some of this. And you're talking about, like, uh, facing extinction. And the obvious threat in in the effort is this dark comet uh, that's coming. And it's going to, I think it was 8 kilometers uh, long. And it's, like, it's obviously going to be, like, an extinction-level event. So there's pressure Mm -hmm. on us to kind of figure this out or resolve this issue so that we can kind of stay alive. But I'm wondering, too, like... Is the comet the threat or is it like, as you said, there's a climate change theme that go- runs through the book. I- is the comet the threat or is it us as a society? Because if we're kind of lackadaisical, we don't put pressure on these things, like we don't seem to have the same kind of urgency uh, in terms of response to the, like a comet coming at us. That would mobilize us. The climate change doesn't seem to mobilize us. So is it the comet that's the threat or is it us as a society in a way?
1: I think they both
0: become threats and in the book
1: Mm -hmm. and uh, there's definitely the immediate threat. That's kind of the inciting incident, but it is also a metaphor for, you know, other threats that we ourselves are responsible for
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, there, you know, there, there is kind of what we are doing to the planet and, you know, it is our, this is our only planet that we have. It is our lifeboat. Um, And, you know, we, we definitely, can, you know, how we are treating the planet does come into play. And there's also, I will say, like, you know, civilization, there's, there's, there's so many thousands of years that have gone into our civilization. And I mean, there is kind of an, an, an interesting element of what happens when that all gets stripped away. Um, just because, What happens when we face extinction? And different people, I think, would would handle it so differently. Mm -hmm. And you kind of see different characters playing that out. But just the questions, uh, you know, if if we were to face an extinction event, what kind of questions would we ask as individuals or society? I wanted to I wanted to explore that. So yeah.
0: So where where do you fall then? Like, I know this is a classic sci-fi cliche, right? Because Something is gonna happen, Independence Day, or what? are These different types of movies, are in your case, uh, this dark comet is coming, Ud3. In like the the classic cliche is, do you release this information to the public because obviously people would panic, the stock market would crash, and those kind of things. Like because this a speculative fiction, you got to write this out and kind of play with this world. Have you, has you, have you changed your mind on that? Like, do you think we should be? releasing this information to the public? Like, if there is a dark comment that's going to come and, like, end our lives, we should know? Or is it just better just to, like, kind of keep eating cereal and taking a nap and then, like, oh, this is... Com-, <laughs> like, not knowing what's going to happen. Like, yeah. playing in this kind of, like, speculative playground fiction, like, all this fiction, did that kind of, like, change your position on that?
1: I I think it's what happened in the book. It's kind of probably... I mean, might happen as well, is that eventually people in people with authority had to know Mm -hmm. because they needed help. Like they, we needed all hands on deck and we needed the the brain trust of the world to solve this problem. So they, there had to be a certain amount of information sharing in order to get the resources for the effort. And then I think what happened is there were leaks and I, I think that would happen. I think that there, there would be leaks. There would be, um, you know, private citizens doing their own research and, um, and then eventually, uh, what, which, you know, which happened in the book as well, you're going to be able to see it, uh, with, with the naked eye. So, you know, do I think everyone on the street needs to know before that? Probably not just Mm -hmm. because I I think there, I think there would be mass hysteria, Mm -hmm but I, but I think eventually, you know, you're going to see it in the sky there. And, you know, with, with media, just all the, the, everyone is so connected. I think people would find out eventually just, you know.
0: Yeah. Because one of the, one of the characters, a couple of the characters are there on an Arctic expedition on this, uh, Healy it's on a boat. And so they're cut off from the world. And I found that kind of actually kind of comforting because Part of it is like, yeah, so they're cut off and they don't really have access to information or whatever, so they don't know what's going on. But that almost seems like to be the, the choices that you, you have to make in, in this world that you created in the effort, which is like it's either the anxiety of knowing what's going to happen, and people are working on it, but you don't really have any clue of what's happening, or the anxiety of not knowing what's happening, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, Yeah. And, so... no, and there's
1: definitely a lot of tension, and there, there's actually like two bubbles Set up mm-hmm. there. There is the yes. Healy is on an Arctic mission that um, started. You know, just as the comet news was breaking,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and it is, it is the last Arctic expedition, and they are cut off. And what, you know, what happens at high latitudes is that you 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 only get satellite internet, and it's very sporadic, and very few can get it. So they they do become cut off in a away from and, and become kind of a bubble. And uh, but then there is also the effort itself. Which has, I mean, when I don't know if you remember when um, Love Moangi is processed, they take her phone
2: mm-hmm.
1: and they, they basically say, You need to focus on saving the planet and nothing else, nobody else. Um, and that's kind of the mission as they understand it. And so that when you have um, a, con- a convoy leave the effort in one of the chapters. Uh, it is a shock to see what has happened with the world, just like when Healy is coming back and they start to understand what happened in the world while they were both in these kind of closed environments.
0: And I don't want to make it sound like it's a it's a grim novel, but there is like hope, like you are encouraged. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because it, it's reminiscent of the, the Kennedy, we're going to the moon speech, right? Where he said, like, we choose to go to the moon in this decade and do, uh, do do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. And that's what I think things I kind of find fascinating with the effort, which is that you have this international cast of characters, basically, and they are coming together, and they are determined to get this right. They are determined to save the planet. They only have one shot at this, but they're determined to pull this off. Um, and it's obviously not going to be easy. But it, it's the it's that hope of that, like... You know, when things are tough or whatever, instead of becoming divided and everybody kind of panicking, as you said, the hope is that we can kind of like get together and like be united and actually face this head on. Not because it is easy, but because it is hard.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's there's definitely there's both sides of the coin. There is there are very grim aspects, mm-hmm. uh, and it, it does it definitely can get dark. But on the same time, token um, it's it is about international collaboration. Um, and, and, I wrote it at a time when there wasn't a lot of that, there was a lot of nationalism and jingoism. And mm-hmm. so I was really excited to, and also I built on moments in, in history where that, that actually had happened, um, you know, particularly the, uh, the ex cold warriors that had worked together, uh, during the fall, like right after the fall of the Soviet union, they had worked with the American, um, scientists to kind of lock down the nuclear arsenal that was unheard of collaboration like that's a beautiful thing um and and just the the family that gets built when you're on and both the healy and also the effort when you have like that sense of found family um toward toward a shared purpose that is noble um and just you know i i hope it's funny like i i i I love when things get super stressful and then someone just cracks a joke and it just makes (laughs) everything better. Um, I hope there's a lot of, I hope you found a lot of humor in that. Mm, Yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, and I I love the characters. I loved every one of them. Um, So I, and there, yes, it is a very large cast. So I I would say if there are some people that don't like to read books where there's more than like three characters, This, this has an international ensemble cast. It is a large cast. And that, like, some people are drawn to that, some aren't. But I, I, every character, I tried to fully develop, very deeply, with, with um, motivations and ev- everything, and just, you know, it was definitely a lot of research on my part. Mm-hmm. So, um, but, but, I mean, that, that to me, that's a draw. That's that's different. Um, so, so, there are so many things that bring the the lighter, the light side to to you know, balance and juxtapose with the dark.
0: It, that seems kind of ambitious then for a debut novel. Why did you choose this story? Why did you choose to tell this story as your debut novel, knowing that it's going to, A, require a lot of research, B, require a large cast of characters uh, that would all, of course, obviously need different cultures, different uh, viewpoints, themes, all that kind of stuff. That's a pretty, like, big thing to kind of chew off for, like, a debut novel.
1: Yes. Um. I mean, it just it kind of became its own thing and it, it didn't really, I don't know, it, it's it's strange when you're creating it, it just kind of had its own way to go and that's where it went. I didn't really choose like, okay, you know, I I had to have an editor say, you know, stop, st- like pull back from all the um, jumping into different characters, like how, and, and just make it a true ensemble, like I actually, went down a lot of tangents with um Gustavo Wonado character just because I had to do so much research and I ended up cutting like four chapters of that so I had to actually it just kind of took on a life of its own and this was the story that was there mm-hmm. and I had to yeah I know you're right like I in hindsight it was, <laughs> it was definitely <laughs> hard to pull off and whether I did or not will be you know every reader will determine that themselves mm-hmm. but um it just it, that's just the story that it was. And that's the story that it came to be. And, you know, the time that I wrote it, that influenced it and that kind of put, put it in a certain trajectory. And I just kind of followed it.
0: Yeah, because yeah. I mean, when you first start writing out, uh, like to sit down to write a novel, there quote unquote isn't a right way to do it. Right, you just kind of figure it out and some of sometimes your characters will surprise you sometimes the story surprises you and you keep going like you said go down these tangents, you go down these roads and then you see what happens uh, but it's also like the type of story that you're telling is also like it can be ambitious uh, to try and pull off uh, I'm thinking of like, this isn't quite the same but it's like a movie like Reservoir Dogs for example is really straightforward right? where like it's just more or less in a warehouse and there's a couple of criminals and so you don't need a lot of like, you don't need Scorsese or somebody to direct it, right? Like it's a pretty straightforward story. It's really simple to execute. But once you start getting into something more bigger and ambitious, it's actually kind of exciting because it forces you to like raise your talent level and like, all right, let's see if I can go down this road and let's see if I can pull this off.
1: Yeah, yeah. And it definitely brought, I I had to bring kind of, I had to be the best I could be to, to make this work. Um, and I had to I had to do the research because you could tell when I wasn't doing it. <laughs> uh, you know, I, there would be times when it would kind of, the character would be a little two dimensional or or maybe too stereotypical, and I'd have to research. And I'm like, oh, oh, you know that that might not happen. Mm-hmm. You know, for instance, Gustavo was so difficult to write because he's from um, uh, he's from a, a, a tribe like one of the last tribe tribes to to not be acculturated fully. And I have just, I had no concept as, you know, an East coast American, mm-hmm. what that would be like. And I don't think any of us could know without doing a lot of research, um, into that. So I, so I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I tried to write that before like more generic and it just, it felt wrong. So it, it definitely made me, um, push myself to to get it right and to do the research and, try to empathize with the characters as much as possible
0: his tribe too like because uh, it, it's set in the amazon the Healy's out in the arctic like these are the places where there generally is like the battle for uh climate change right where the war is kind of being fought and it's reminiscent yeah. of like you know operation desert storm or like vietnam or others it's like these far-flung places that most of us don't really go to don't really think about And I think that's part of the problem, too, with like to circle back to the climate change themes that you're talking about, is that like it was neat because you through your novel, you get to spend some time in these places, places that you generally don't go to and you don't really think about. Do You know what I mean? You just yeah uh, yeah you don't go because they'll, they'll they're basically
1: will kill you right <laughs> <laughs> the, the amazon will destroy both of us yeah the arctic will destroy both of us yeah. and that's why they survived this long is because they're so inhabitable to like to hu- humans mm-hmm. um you know uh, you know everything in the amazon is trying to kill you yeah, uh, yeah. and then you go to the arctic the, the, the temperatures and are just and the you know, survival is just so difficult that that's why these two places have survived this long, but they're still, they're now under threat. They're like the last bastions um, of untouched, you know, earth, and yet now they are, that they are under threat. And yes, they are, they are the battle, the battle um, grounds of climate change. So I thought it was interesting that, you know, the middle of the earth and then the, the top pole are just, they're so, different and yet they are kind of where we need to be thinking
0: yeah and that's i think the the problem is because you're so removed from those things you don't think about like that you generally don't see like articles about the what like unless you're in, like into environmental stuff you generally don't see things about the uh article whatever but even casually if you're just scrolling through like the internet or through a websites or whatever you'll see an article here or there about the london or something or something in the uk or Boris did something whatever like you'll see little things like that that you don't you're not even looking for anything london you know what i mean like you'll see little things that kind of uh kind of crash your world view and because the environmental stuff is so removed it feels like it's not real like it's similar to like it kind of mirrors the comet that you have coming um and i know people eventually got to see the comet in the sky but for the first while, people were like, "Eh, it's not really that big a deal. It's probably overblown. It's probably overhyped."
1: Yeah. Oh, there's a lot of disbelief. Um, there's a lot of questioning of the media, which which was happening. There was a lot of questioning of science and mm-hmm. fact, and which was again all happening. Like I, I, you know, I definitely in 2017 was was watching as you know scientists were were completely called out as to why they were leading policy and and. It was really dismaying and so I definitely had that in the front of the book where people really wouldn't believe scientists who say you know we are looking at an extinction event Mm
2: -hmm.
1: um yeah and like I said it's, it's not in front of me I can't see it I I don't believe the person telling me also I don't want to believe the person telling me um or my understanding of reality would not include this kind of epic event cat like this catastrophic event that could wipe out humanity like my understanding wouldn't allow for that like so i just i tried to put that in there as well yeah
0: yeah and i think the other problem too was that if depending on how long you've lived you end up going through a number of times where people cry wolf right like you and I have both lived through like Y2K, which is supposed to be one of those like skies falling events and like airplanes going to fall. And it's like the doom. And like people <laughs> were like,
1: yeah, I- uh, that's a good point. Um, the media does sometimes sensationalize things like they started naming storms. And I was mm-hmm. like, that is stupid <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because they, they want to be able. Yeah. They, they definitely can peddle fear. You're right. Um, yeah. and, and, and hype and oh ooh, you know, that yeah. voice. So I, yeah, you're, you're right. Like, I can understand how people would also not want to immediately believe something that's so sensational. Yeah.
0: For you, what are your metrics for hope? Because like, I'm thinking of like a sports team, you're based in Philly, so you got several teams, but when a team is (laughs) down and then the, the commentator will say, Oh, there's plenty of time for them to win this game, whether it be the Eagles or the Sixers or whatever it is, there's still plenty of time for them to win this game. And it mirrors the doomsday clock. Like, are we running out of time? Or, like, are we, and like, as in humanity, like a losing sports team that just has enough time to win the game? Like, can we pull this off?
1: I think we're in a better place than the place when I wrote this book. Okay. Um, I think I was definitely in like kind of a crisis mode where every time you would look at the news, something awful had happened or been or was done. Uh, we, you know, were walking out of certain alliances and I, there was just, we were, uh, you know, gutting the EPA. Mm-hmm. There was so much that happened every day. It was like a Black Mirror episode where you're like, oh God, what happened? What happened yeah. today? Um, I, I was funny, I read a, a recent David Sedaris article where he, he you know, he, he said, he and we, like I did, Every day he would wake up, check the news, and constantly check it, like, oh God, what happened? Oh, what happened? Oh no, oh no. <laughs> and now he's just like, I let it go. <laughs> and I know you're not supposed to. Yeah. And it's the bad thing. But I, I think some of us just had to take a step back for a while and be like, okay, go do it. You guys go do your job. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna be over here. Like, go fly the plane. I'm gonna be here for a while just you know, de- detoxifying myself and then I'll, ju- I'll jump back, I'll come back, but just, so I, I definitely had one of those moments too, where I'm like, okay, we're in a better place. I need to let go a bit. Um, and of course, you know, I'm stepping back slowly, but surely and and trying to, you know, get back into the current events and what everyone can do to just make us a better place and a better world and talk to your neighbors and all that. But, um, yeah, I, I admit, I, I, I kind of stepped
0: away for a bit just because I just
1: got so frantic with terrible decisions we were all making.
0: No, um, and, it, and it's fair because, yeah. I mean, obviously things were bad. Um, yeah. But it, at the same time, it, what you're talking about too, it's a lot like when you go on vacation, you're you're in America. So if you go to like, I don't know, somewhere like the, the UK or France or whatever, you are are navigating a lot more different things. Uh, You're trying to figure out what to do with your day because you want to maximize your day. You don't really do the same kind of dwelling that you do uh, when you live day to day, right? Like when you're on vacation, you're literally on vacation sometimes from the media and from the news. And it can be a really refreshing way to live, right? Because you end up connecting with people and you uh, have fun and you kind of more focus on other goals and other things. So you don't really always are are aware or connected to the world. It kind of mirrors what the, the people were like on the Healy.
1: Yeah, yeah, and so, but I have kind of stepped back, and I, I think we're in a better place than we were, you know, in in 2017 when I, I wrote the majority of this. But um, yeah, you know, we still need to do more. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I think there's still not an appetite for that, unfortunately. Uh, I I see it though with the younger generation, and I think they just had in Scotland uh, a march um, that had like a, a massive protesters. And I just wish that that could translate somewhere into our laws and like what we do. Because um, I, I just I love that energy and seeing that dedication when I'm not seeing it elsewhere.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I, I, I do think as like, I think decision makers are just so important. And I, I feel like we're kind of trying to get back to having good decision makers. But I, I think the public will still isn't there. And I'm hoping that can change.
0: So then is, I don't know if criticism's the right word then, but like, is the effort also kind of, I guess, criticism for the idea of like, I think it's kind of, a, it's primarily an American idea, but the idea of coasting, right? Where you can kind of just do the bare minimum and you can still get by like a Homer Simpson type character.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like... Yeah, yeah. Uh, is it fair? Is that, is that legitimate too? Like, is it, I guess, criticism? Is that a harsh word or the right word or?
1: um, I, f- I feel like just... Because of that, where we were, I, I yes, and it and I think there are a lot of people have bristled under that. I guess criticism that is in the book of what we were doing um, and and why. Um, so yes, it's possible that there it's meant that there is a there is criticism inherent in the book about what we were what we've been doing to the planet and what we haven't been doing. Um, yes, and also just how we weren't working together towards a global solution. Everyone was kind of going into their own backyards and um, only, you know, only rooting for their own team when mm. we, we need to be all working together for the greater good, for everyone's good, not not just for what makes sense for our own nation. Um, so, so, yes, I, I think, it, I mean, unfortunately, because no one really likes to be, but uh I, I i think there probably was part of that did you did you did you feel that there was critique and do you feel it was deserved
0: i do yeah because i think that and i'm i'm not slagging you guys like americans in general but there it does seem like a lot of like uh like homer simpsons a great example where like there is kind of this mentality of coasting right where mm-hmm. you can kind of put the minimal effort in. So you can show up to work uh eight o'clock, or maybe you could turn on the computer by nine o'clock, <laughs> then you go on a coffee break. Like we have a lot of like sitcoms and things like that that kind of reflect that like kind of slightly lazy kind of get by mentality. Um mm-hmm. but it's also just like it's like I was saying before, it's like it's that lack of urgency. We're like, you know, if you walk into a room and you see a bear you turn around and you leave because the bear is a dangerous thing right if you see a fire you call the you call 911 right away like you also have that that sense of urgency which kind of then shapes everything and i think with everything especially with like climate change it can be easy to coast right and i think that's where that's where i think the the that american mentality kind of comes through where it's like eh, this is not really that dangerous, or whatever, uh, and you know what I mean. And so sometimes if you don't recycle and you throw out your pop cans or whatever in, in the trash instead of the recycling, it's like, yeah, it's all right. I'll get you the next time, Mother Earth.
1: Yeah, I no, no. I mean, definitely, and uh, yeah, what you're what you're saying is, and there's also like when there's a price tag associated with action, mm-hmm. then then yes, people and people can be i mean we can all be selfish we can all w- not want to put in the time and money that it would take to you know as you said do right by mother earth mm-hmm. um that there and there are there are price tags or i mean definitely with with what's happening in brazil um th- you know they they use the word development but it's basically clear-cutting mm-hmm. uh and that's you know they, they they sell they sell the wood they they sell the land they 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 you know raise agriculture instead. There, when money comes into the equation, like we we can kind of make selfish decisions, and I'll, I'll add myself to this to the, to the we, um yeah. Yeah, I so mean
0: I, I, I coast too, right? It's not like. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's not like i'm
0: pointing fingers or whatever i think that's why the, yeah. the, the oh no and i way.
1: you know i don't I, I'm, I'm sure there are things that i don't do as well where i i'm i am part of the problem mm-hmm. of of you know being a human that takes up resources and i'm, I'm sure there are things i don't do that i could be doing mm-hmm. um i'm i'm definitely not perfect mm-hmm. um yeah so it's it, it, you know the critique would would, would include me yeah, uh, it would I'm, I'm outside of this. Not all things, but I, I definitely
0: some things, sure. Mhm. For sure. And part of your writing too included a, an article for Crime Reads where you wrote about climate disaster thrillers. And I guess this is kind of like a new genre now, like cli-fi. Is that the, the term, climate fiction as similar to kind of like sci-fi? Is this where it's going? Well, there is there is a term
1: cli-fi and that yes, that is established where it, mm-hmm. it does have um climate change angle or even just environmental, um, like leanings, um, you know, talking about like species extinction or, or things like that. Um, I, I, have noticed that sometimes people can also like, there've been kind of, uh, more of like a thriller event, um, which I, which I think is really interesting. And I'm, I'm not saying it's, hugely successful (laughs) because i don't i don't you know like a lot of people are not interested in environmental thrillers when you say those two words together Mm -hmm. you know usually people at the airport will will bypass that section and go straight (laughs) straight to the james patterson yeah yeah. but uh, but i i just i find that interesting where it's not the usual um field biology kind of book Mm -hmm. instead they they try to have you know a a plot with some real teeth. And I, I find that kind of fascinating. Like I, you know, being the nerdy weirdo I am, I'm like, wow, that's, I wanna know, you know, when someone's not afraid to kind of put a dark edge to this about, you know, what can happen here? Like, like speculative, what are we doing? I, and, and have some real relevance to like uh, current events. Mm-hmm. I, I was inter- I was interested in that, that space.
0: Yeah and the thriller part is again what we're talking about before which is that urgency right where it's this race against time Yeah uh yeah. in your case it's the effort right like this giant like dark comet is coming so regardless of whether you believe in it regardless of whether you believe in science or not it's coming <laughs> right so Yeah and I have
1: a a launch window to help and also that grounds the reader I I ended up adding that um in the editing phase just to help readers understand time mm-hmm. but also to give that to un- to understand why things are becoming more extreme is because everyone is feeling that countdown to 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 the when they need to have that that launch with solar power at first
0: it's true like because again it's, it's what we we're saying before with like the environment like you kind of hear some things every now and then like this arctic shelf is falling or it's like the arctic snow is melting or whatever it is and then you're like, all right. And then you like, then you watch, <laughs> then you go out for pizza, right? Like, <laughs> like is, is there something that you want me to do right now? Is like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, um, yeah, no, right. Yeah, like, and and
2: but I do feel helpless. Sometimes. Yeah.
0: Right. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not a scientist. Uh, like, You know what I mean? I can't, I'm not qualified. I'm not inte- in, intellectual enough to deal with any of this stuff, or whatever. So that's why I go for pizza. I do what I can and I just go for pizza. Right. So it's a weird thing where like you get this information and it's like, this is a problem. This is a crisis. And I'm like, okay, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, all right. <laughs> Eat pizza. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Like I, I do what I do. Right. I know who mm-hmm. I am. So I get it. Yeah. And then in terms of like, uh, for your next novel, then shifting gears, what can we expect from that? Are you going to kind of stay with some of these themes? You're going to write about different themes or what are you working on for your next novel?
1: Yeah, I guess it's strange. I guess I I tend to write about things that um, I'm concerned about. (laughs) And right now I'm concerned about Russia. So, (laughs) and I feel like everyone should, I mean, Russia is always like, I I mean, with what Russia does, Mm -hmm. I think everyone should be concerned. And I've been kind of obsessing with um, the assassinations that have happened in England Mm
2: -hmm.
1: through 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 like basically spies from the Kremlin, mm-hmm. um, and I've done a lot of research on that. Uh, where I, I'm just amazed at what is going on on British soil, where um, you know they'll they will just take people out in the strangest of ways, and these are just the ways we know of.
2: Mm-hmm. They
1: have, I mean, I think it's called Lab X, where they craft all these ways to kill people without being detected. So, and I mean, this happened, or I think this was like in Lenin's age that this started, but it's definitely continued. And I think there were like 16 people that died within two or three years that were killed in, in England um, from, from Russian assassins. And uh, I, I, there was a Buzzfeed report that's amazing. Um, I've been reading that. I've been reading also the the Vinyanko, um, who was- The poisoning? Was Oh my God. Yes. I mean, that is harrowing to read about. I mean, he was such a wonderful, decent guy. Mm -hmm. Um, and just, so I've, I've definitely, and you know, he with a, with a colleague, they wrote a book called blowing up Russia that's banned. I'm reading that. Um, I'm just kind of obsessed with all the shady dealings that is, that are happening in England. Um, by basically orders orders with the Kremlin. So I'm doing a near future actually that begins with a journal being um, assassinated and i'm I'm kind of exploring fiction, but it's it's all kind of pulling on nonfiction.
0: Does that writing like that, like the effort in this new novel about Russia, which we're living through right now, does it alleviate your fears? Does it like help you calm down and kind of ease your anxiety and like let you sleep at night?
1: I don't, I'm not sure about that, but at least it's what I'm thinking.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's, it's just kind of there anyway. And usually you're, you you know, you're, you're going to talk about what's in your head. So it's just what it's, what's in my head. And so that's just kind of where, and, and you, I think you also just want people to know, like, this is coming, mm-hmm. this is happening. I, I guess they're kind of like warning calls. Um, And I, and maybe that's how the effort started. It was like a warning call. I, I try to show people what's happening, but you know, in a thriller, mm-hmm. um, like, I guess I kind of like high concept thrillers. That's where I want to kind of stay. Um, so yeah, that's, that's where I'm going to, uh, kind of go with my, so I'm about halfway done, um. And, you know, obviously already, I, you know, there, it's not a surprise that the Kremlin's involved. Like it's, <laughs> it's not like spoiler. They're the bad guy. Like we know they're the bad guy. Yeah. We know they're, they're like, there's, there's a lot more to the story. Um, and I'm also kind of exploring the, the near future of like kind of 2025 around that era. So that, that's kind of fun because it, it's not so far in the future. It's kind of like things that are in um, trial stage would kind of be more um, prevalent and, and, you know mass culture and mm-hmm. um you know, and so I'm, I'm kind of having fun exploring the, the time as well as the setting and the um you know the the kind of what russia has done um to kind of mask their assassinations and and how they basically have killing as statecraft it's it's wild
0: yeah that stuff is always weird too because it's like it's real life right like if you it watch is, yeah. like if you watch like some corny hollywood action movie or whatever and they're doing stuff and john wick is busting up stuff or whatever whatever it may be you're like all right that was cool right <laughs> you add your popcorn and then that's it you go home you go for yeah, a slice of pizza he right? shed
1: six, you know how many pints of blood and he gets yeah. up and walks it's like sure sure why
0: not yeah. but, but then yeah when, no, this- when you read it in real life you're like we actually live like this like we do this
1: yeah. It, these, these nonfiction books um, read like spy novels uh, and it's like, this is, this is not Ian Fleming. This, this happened. And, um, it, and they, they don't always have happy endings like where John Wick gets up and walks mm-hmm. away, uh, stitches himself up. Like, <laughs> you, you know, Vinenko was mm-hmm. was killed in an awful way. Um, and so there, there can be very sad moments and I definitely need to take breaks sometimes from reading all the things that um, have been done, but mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just kind of important to like also let other people know what has been done, uh, and just make people. I guess again that warning cry of making people aware of what happens um, and what is happening right now. And I guess that's part of just my how my anxiety works, where I'm like, you
0: guys, you guys, this is happening. <laughs> <laughs> but that's I think the value of science fiction. Good science fiction, right? Is yeah. it points to stuff. Uh, it does, you. You yeah. and I were talking before about like you're saying like for Chinese science fiction writers they gotta write in metaphor. Even if you're writing in metaphor, you're pointing at something and you're like, this is not a good thing here. Like we should address this, right? Like uh, in the effort, it's a lot of the climate change kind of stuff. Like you know, we eventually gotta like deal with it. <laughs> we yeah. gotta like fix this because this is a problem yes. here.
1: Yes. We can't be Homer Simpsons. We need to actually do something (laughs) write Laws protect, protect what we've been
0: given. Yes. All that. There you go. That's a positive message for the kids. We can kind of end it there. Uh, Don't be Homer Simpsons. So where can people find you online to discuss the effort or your next novel or any of the sci-fi stuff you're reading and enjoying?
1: Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm out there. I'm on um, Instagram. I'm on Twitter. Uh, a uh, little bit on goodreads it's it's not it's not good it's false advertising yeah so yeah uh, i mostly twitter and instagram um you know and I, and I do facebook with friends and stuff like that but mm. uh yeah or you could you know like you did you dropped me a line on my website and mm-hmm. said hello and i said hello back right. um i'm a pretty yeah i'm a pretty i'm i'm friendly i'm open approachable all that i and i you know if you people comment I love when they comment when I'll I'll post an Instagram post about a new book and they'll say yeah I'm reading this too I'm on chapter three and it's really fun to kind of have a community when you're reading books and talking about books so Mm -hmm. definitely up for that
0: the community and the comments that you're seeing like people are really digging the novel and like they're like freaked out and like (laughs) they kind of Um, see what you're saying uh, with the speculative fiction
1: yeah I'm both i mean i've I've met some wonderful people and some not wonderful people <laughs> uh, I mean my my book got political yeah uh, definitely and and there are some people who really didn't appreciate that oh uh, um,
2: yeah mm-hmm. yeah
1: so I mean that's that's the price you pay for 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 going there for mm-hmm. for taking that step so yeah but i mean i've 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 met wonderful people and wonderful writers too.
0: All right. Uh, thank you, Claire, for like hanging out. We covered quite a bit. Uh, we covered that uh, your novel is called *The Effort*. And it's about a dark comet that is hurtling towards Earth and maybe doom us all. But if we get together and like figure this out, we can save things. We figured out that uh, don't be Homer Simpson, and that uh, Russia is really good at like spy and stagecraft and uh, taking people out. Is that about to cover it? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sammy. I really
1: appreciate it. And uh, I'm so glad we got to meet.
0: Yo, that was Claire Holroyd, and her highly recommended sci fi novel is The Effort. I am Sammy, host of My Summer Lair. So, yeah. We've all watched Deep Impact and Armageddon and similar blockbusters offering up the same flimsy hopeful message. When the issue is at hand, we are galvanized. Our boundless faith in our science, in undaunted reliance on the triumph of the human spirit and a casual reading of history, overlooking our gravest mistakes, is empowering. It is the Gatorade which fuels our noble ascension. However... Firefighters do not battle fires every single day. And just because firefighters do not fight fire every day doesn't mean the fire has gone away or that fire has been resolved or that fire is never coming back. It just means there is no fire today. But fire remains a destructive force that can burn and harm so much. We have to be simultaneously vigilant for the fire that is coming but also for the conditions that can feed that destructive fire. Our inability to create and nurture an urgent momentum without an immediate obvious problem will ultimately doom us. (laughs) Not a cheerful message to end on, is it? I know, it's like one thing to coast at work. We all have lazy days. But it's another thing when an actual coast is rapidly disappearing. In the effort when UD-3, the dark comet, was spotted near Jupiter's orbit, its existence was largely ignored. Oh man! Like, history is defined by the outspoken individuals we have ignored. There's always some sort of prophet or somebody saying something like, uh, Yo guys, I think this is going to be a problem. <laughs> and yeah, there is a lot of crackpots and a lot of people like, you know, out to lunch and dinner and probably not coming back for breakfast. But there are people who are wise and who see patterns and recognize dangers and are doing their best to point it out. Is there somebody's voice who is being ignored? Is there somebody who is being overlooked? Maybe the better question is, who is the new David Suzuki? While we wait for that emergence, I suggest reading Claire's novel, The Effort. And thank you for not ignoring me. I know even after this kind of like somber (laughs) ending kind of message thing here. So if you go to Substack, you can sign up for my pal Sammy. It's a newsletter. There's a lot more sarcasm and a lot more hope and a lot more joy uh, than probably what I'm ending this episode on. Substack, my pal Sammy. Please sign up and... uh, Let's begin a conversation. And who knows, you can reach out and let me know if there's somebody else out there who is the new David Suzuki. Thank you so much for listening to me in a Netflix world. The effort, yo.